evening, and welcome again to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What. This week, we set our sights on 1890s New York and discuss the wiles of Miss Dolly Levi and her schemes to find love. At least, that's what we would have done had Walter Matthau not been such an asshole. Enjoy our review of Hello, Dolly! Hello, Dolly. Yeah. 1969. Matchmaker Dolly Levi travels to Yonkers to find a partner for half a millionaire, Horace Vandergelder, convincing his niece, his niece's intended, and his two clerks to travel to New York City along the way. Uh, yeah, this was the most expensive musical ever made at the time at $25 million budget, but it, it only made $9 million in the box office. It tanked. Yeah, this was one of three musicals that tanked during this time the studio wanted to recreate what they did with sound of music which was an amazing runaway hit yeah um they all flopped well and honestly this was i won't say it's the movie's fault itself it was changing attitudes at the box office at the time Mm -hmm. but this is also what precipitated the rise of coppola and bogdanovich and the new hollywood group Yes. Like those three, those three movies tanking, Mm -hmm. let the studios go, you know what? Let's just spend a hundred thousand bucks on these dudes and see what they come up with. And all of a sudden you had these directors come up with amazing ideas. Uh, They didn't release a single movie in 1970. Yeah. Because they lost so much money. And everybody else in town went, oh shit. They didn't start remaking their money until they re-released Sound of Music. Yeah. It was bad. Name the studio, by the way. Just It's 20th Century Fox. And the other movie musicals was Dr. Doolittle and Star. How have you not seen this? I haven't seen any movie musicals. You know this about me. But I just don't. I, yeah. I hadn't seen The Sound of Music, okay? So it, the, if you want to tear... I do forget that. You had, yeah, Singing in the Rain and Sound of Music I made you watch last fall, so... If you want to tear down from there, this True. is a big deal musical, but it's still it's, a yeah, sub-musical okay. under those. Yeah, it's not as big of a deal. People either kind of love this or they hate it i definitely fall in the kind of love I, uh-huh. know it, I know it's not perfect but i love it okay i just do i'm not gonna reveal how i feel about it just yet oh okay so let's talk about the writing let's talk about the story this actually has a weird path okay um there was a kind of a short story that was taken that was done by johan nestor and then it was thornton wilder who turned it into a bigger story called The Matchmaker, which is what was turned into the play. And then Michael Stewart and Ernest Lehman uh, wrote the actual music and the stage, the Broadway stage play. Okay. So, like, it's been through a lot. And then Ernest Lehman did this movie. Got it. Okay. So and then it was a Broadway, it was a Broadway musical after the movie, correct? No. Never been a Broadway musical. No, it had been. Oh, it had been a Broadway musical. Yes, nineteen sixty-four. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sixty-four. It went on Broadway. So this was only five years later. So that was a very quick turnaround. And one of the problems this movie had was that it was filmed. So the studio was not allowed to release this movie until the musical stopped running. But the musical was being so successful, it kept getting renewed and renewed and renewed, and finally. Uh, the studio had to pay out the musical to allow them to just release the film. They had held it for almost a whole year. Jeez. Yeah. So 
it yeah it financially this was just a nightmare so there's definitely some troubled production but what do we think about the story the writing i think it's a decent story i mean just as a decent story for a musical i, I it's a farce exactly it, it, and the, to buy into a musical there's usually has to be a farcical element well not necessarily i, said I mean an element no, because modern musicals don't have that necessary farce element to it. There's very dramatic musicals that don't have that at all. True, but during this period of time. Maybe. I think it's a decently constructed farce. It has lots of great elements to it. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's just a farce in how it's written. Mm-hmm. There's There's nothing else besides that. Yeah. That the story itself is just fine. So my issues start to come in with how it was done mm-hmm. more than the story itself. Okay, so... Our director, <laughs> we have talked a lot about previously in our Singing in the Rain episode. This movie was directed by Gene Kelly. Okay. Uh, this was the last big studio film he did. He he went on to do That's Entertainment 2 after this. But prior to this, he did Our Town, or no, On the Town, and Singing in the Rain. Yeah. You know, it's Gene Kelly. <laughs> he's, he's done a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll let you start. Okay. This feels like somebody went on a Broadway set and tried to keep up with the cast performing a Broadway musical. It didn't feel like a movie. And that's reflected in how the actors acted. Mm -hmm. That's reflected in the shot selection. Mm -hmm. That's reflected in some of the sloppiness of the shots. And in the dancing, which is real surprising to me, mm-hmm. that whole Hello Dolly sequence right beforehand, the s- mm-hmm. service thing, yep. is pretty technically awesome, but it also kind of feels sloppy. And it's not because of the dancers, it's because of the angles that the cameras are at. So we liked Singing in the Rain, but there was just a lot of dance sequences where we're just like, this is just here so that we can see the dancing. Right. And he did that here. He made a meal out of some sequences that we didn't need. During the beginning, with put on your Sunday clothes, it's fun. You're seeing the town. Everybody's getting dressed up and ready. So it goes on just a little bit too long. But that whole Harmonia Garden sequence is a mess. Oh, yeah. And the shots aren't great. This dancing is awesome. But it would almost have been better if it had been one whole shot. Well, for me, I think what's what's the craziest thing is... So we have a lineup, the the one that got me the most on that sequence, mm-hmm. and I'll get into other issues I have with the length of stuff, but th- they've got the one sequence where they've got everybody with brooms right down the middle, mm-hmm. right? That's an easy enough shot to line up, yeah. get everybody in symmetry, and the camera is like five degrees off. Yeah. And for whatever reason, one group, you can see the angle out and one you can't. And I'm yeah. going, how did you fuck that up? How did you fuck up a straight dead symmetry shot? Mm-hmm. And the only guess I can think of is it was rushed. Oh, yeah. And Gene Kelly just fucking went, ah, fuck it, whatever, just do it. Well, yeah, I, there was just some precision there that was definitely off. There, I know uh, the Harmonia Gardens whole thing took a full on month to do. God almighty. And the entire set took the entire soundstage. Yeah. So I could see him having a problem getting a full shot with the camera. Like, if that whole set is taking up an entire soundstage, then you want to put in a crane camera, yeah, that's going to be a problem. But it's also insane to think about because it was, like, 15 years before that mm-hmm. that he's dead on precise with the shots and singing in the rain. Yeah. 
I've got nothing to complain about with the choreography of that. Mm -hmm. And this just feels messy. Not to mention the length, which comes into editing and different things. But it also comes into the music. Mm -hmm. All of these songs are too fucking long. The Hello Dolly sequence is way too long. As you watched me, you could see me just melting into not caring about the movie. Yes. Now, I didn't hate it as much as it looked like I was. Mm -hmm. But what it came down to was everything felt so overdrawn Mm -hmm. that by the next intermission, I'm just like, stuff better pick up quick Mm -hmm. or I am just going to glaze over completely. Okay. And to a certain extent, that's how I felt. We just kept going on and on and on. This movie is two and a half hours. And there's it doesn't no, need to be. There's no reason this you, movie can't be an hour and a half. You, you, mm, the song, some of the sequences you can't pull, you can't do that way. It could, You could cut 30 minutes out. Easily. Easily. Yeah. Well, in terms of just what's there now. Mm-hmm. But if you reconfigured everything, tightened up all the choreography and the songs, you could have done this in 90 to 100 minutes. Yeah. You would have to change some things, yes, but you could. All right, so our cast. <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, Miss Dolly Levi. Babs. Babs. It's Babs. She was uh, she was way too young for this. Well, yeah. She was 27 and Walter Matthau was 49. <laughs> or, yeah, was he 49? No, yeah, he was 49. And typically with the musical, Dolly Levi is supposed to be cast closer to whatever they cast uh, Horace Van de Gelder as. They're supposed to be older than... And Minnie Faye and Cornelius Hackle and all right, that. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, of course. She's a widow, so she should be older. Barbara Streisand doesn't talk about this movie. I'm not shocked. Uh, except to say that she should have never taken the role. Ah. Because she was, because uh, honestly, my whole life watching this, I thought she was in her 40s when she did this. Wow. So this movie aged her. Hmm, yeah, I can understand that. Which is funny, because it doesn't seem that it ages her that much when you're watching her there. No, and she's fabulous. I mean, she really does the character very well. So we watched we, we, we watched the first part, got to the intermission, watched the second part. First part of it, I hated her. Mm-hmm. And was like, I, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why she's so terrible. Yep. Then I started watching the second half of this movie, and I started to realize it has nothing to do with her. It's Walter Matthau. It's everybody else. It's literally everyone else in this cast. Well, okay. So one thing that I didn't like, I love about the writing and hate about the writing is, okay, during the second half at Harmonia Gardens where she's pulling her con on Walter Matthau. Right. With talking him in circles. Mm-hmm. There should have been more of that in the first half. Yes that she's no. able to do, like, there's tiny bits of it, but it should have been way more elaborate in the beginning. There's no, there's not enough setup for any of these characters Correct. for me to feel like I care about any of them. That's fair. And the only person who charmed me mm-hmm. into caring mm-hmm. was Dolly Levi. Mm-hmm. It was Barbara. Uh, she's she's wonderful. She really is. I I I had to reconfigure what I thought. You know, it's not just Walter Matthau that there's no chemistry with. It's that literally everybody else is a parody of what an actor should be in this movie. A little bit. And she is the only one who is possessed enough in her character to pull it off. I don't agree with that. We'll talk about it. Okay. So next we have Walter Matthau, plays Horace Vandegelder. He's horrible. He should have (laughs) never been cast. Uh, He hated Barbara Streisand. Uh, Their kiss at the end, uh, they're not kissing because he refused to kiss her. It's just camera angle. He hated her. Uh, he went to the horse races with Michael Crawford, and there was a horse there named Hello Dolly. 
And Michael Crawford's like, yeah, I got a, I got a bet on Hello Dolly. And he won. And he refused to talk to Michael Crawford for the rest of the production because he was bitter. He was such an asshole. Okay, that's Walter Matha. I mean, it is. But he's horrible. He's stiff. And there's nothing about him that makes him interesting. So I've only seen clips. Mm-hmm. But there's another actor in a musical vibe that I get from this. And that is Lee Marvin in Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> who... I, Lee Marvin, I think, actually, you know, tried to do that role a mm-hmm. little bit. It, yeah. it was a money grab type thing, but it was one of these things where you got like Clint Eastwood, okay, but he's a cowboy type and can be a little comedic, and Margaret, who's totally done musicals, mm-hmm. and then fucking Lee Marvin, yeah. Mr. Action Supreme, has to be an old prospector who sings. <laughs> yeah, it's like Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia. You just start to go, why did you do this? Like what? Why? Why? Did why you are you here? Yourself? Yeah. Um. Because I love Walter Matthau, and look, I would expect him to be a curmudgeon. That's just who I expect him to be. Okay, but there's nothing charming about him at all. Oh he no! He plays him as just a straight asshole. He doesn't even try to be charming with Irene Malloy or Ernestina Simple. He doesn't even try. No. He's just like, I bought you the fancy chocolates. Here you go. <laughs> Here you go. Okay. So I I think that may be a symptom of, you cast me, this is what I do, so why it's are you fair. pissed off about it? I, I can get on that, but it just against Barbara Streisand, you could have had so much more fun. He's not having any fun in this role. Was anybody else considered? I, I didn't see anything. Jeez. I, I, I can only assume that it was just like, they thought this was the best publicity. They thought this was the best mm-hmm. option to yeah. get a star name on there for it. And that he would be the right curmudgeonly grumpy type against whoever they got. Mm. Next, we have Michael Crawford as Cornelius Hackle. I kept rattling my brain because I was like, I know that name. I know Mm -hmm. that name. I know that name. And then I was like, oh, that's right. He was the original Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Raul. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. He's that voice. He's that famous guy. And when it was really funny about him, Uh Gene Kelly had to fight to keep his singing voice in the movie. The studio wanted to dub him, and Gene Kelly was like, nope, we're keeping it. He is a bit shaky. He is, but it works so well for his character. Mm. I, mm. He's the one who I think is the best in the whole movie in terms of acting, and he just embodies his character. Nope. <gasps> he is a walking, talking, <gasps> boring archetype of a character. He's totally that- an archetype, but he's... Needed to have so much more actual depth to his character. Well, okay, the writing's not there. The writing is not there from him, but he's so earnest and I adore him. He lands jokes with the grace of a 10-ton anvil. There's nothing funny about how he brings a joke. He telegraphs everything he's about to do. I just didn't buy him at all. (gasps) That hurts my heart. Because I love it. So much. So I think part of it for him mm-hmm. and and where I might give him a little bit of a slide is the editing. Mm-hmm. They don't pace it. You know, it's editing, it's writing. There's no pacing there to let his jokes hit, go, hit, mm-hmm. go, because it's supposed to be a back and forth with mm-hmm. his jokes. But then there's like four beats before we get to the next part. Oh, yeah. They definitely make a meal out of everything. Nothing lands. And I, don't, I don't agree with that. And so for me, I just, 
from the very moment on, I just didn't buy him. I felt like he was just <sighs> a solid block in the middle of the movie that just no! sucked up humor. I'm sorry. No! I just didn't get it. And here's what I will say. If this were on stage, mm-hmm. would have bought it 100%. But because it's on film, not buying it. They're overacting. They are overacting and they're doing it so broad. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't play on camera. So Gene Kelly fucked this up. Gene Kelly fucked it up real bad. Oh, that makes me a little sad. All right, next we have Marianne McAndrews. I mean, Malloy. About half the time, I actually really like her acting. Mm-hmm. She actually seems like a film actress. She went on to do, she, this is one of her first, like, actual, like, big credits. Yeah. She went on to do a lot of TV. It makes sense. She she knows how to Work be camera. on camera. Mm-hmm. She knows how to rein things in a little mm-hmm. bit. It's so hard to tell whether or not it was just Gene Kelly saying, I don't know, fucking do that, and then move on to the next shot. The, like, on- the only time where I really don't like her is during the ribbons down my back. That sequence. Which sequence is that? Uh, that's where she's singing about in, in the hat shop. I'll be wearing ribbons down my back this summer. I'll be wearing ribbons down my back this summer. (laughs) Blue and green and streaming in the yellow sky. (laughs) Yeah, it's one. It's not a great song. But uh, she was the only one who didn't do her own singing. She was dubbed by somebody else. Makes sense. So she does not know how to lip sync very well. And it shows so much in that sequence that she does not know how to sell the song. I also felt like that happened with Barbara. And it's not that she's not singing, Uh, but it's that the syncing did not match up. I agree. And I feel like she was dubbed. Her own voice was dubbed over uh the soundtrack Mm -hmm. and she couldn't lip sync to it. No, I agree. I think, and this is why they, they, they didn't do this with Les Mis, so famously, is that she made choices when she recorded that song that she couldn't mimic when she was performing. Exactly. She was acting. And that's specifically why when they did Les Mis just a few years ago, they wanted all the singing done live. Well, that also makes sense when you're casting some people who don't really sing. Oh, at that too. Um, and you know, sorry, not- sorry, Russell Crowe, I know you're in a rock band, but that doesn't mean you can fucking sing Javert. <laughs> Yeah. And I haven't even seen the movie, but... No, we haven't seen it. I'm still allowed to have hot I've, sports I've opinions seen enough. about that. I've seen enough. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, I've watched enough sequence. I understand. Anne Hathaway earned her Oscar. She did the work. But it's that thing of, like, if you're going to have people... If you're going to have some people who are character singing, mm-hmm. like in this movie, where they probably can sing, but they're in a specific character, mm-hmm. dude, you have to have the sound match the picture. Well, and that's one of those instances where it may have been a better idea to film and then record the music to match the film. Mm-hmm. So that, look, get your performance out, do your acting, and, and then go back and make it match there. Yeah. That would have worked Because you can record after the fact and manipulate that and make it mm-hmm. work. Yes. I don't know. She was fine. Yeah. Uh, then we have Danny Lockin as Barnaby Tucker. I bought him a little bit more, but I still had the same problem I had with Michael Crawford. He's a phenomenal dancer. He was the best dancer of them. Well, yeah, but all the dancing just felt so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I, I couldn't single anybody out for being good at dancing, because mm-hmm. the whole time I was like, I don't feel the motivation for this dancing at all. Which is funny, because in Singing in the Rain, I actually understood the motivation behind it. Yeah. I don't understand why they were dancing in about half of the scenes of this movie. Uh, he had been in a lot of summer, summer stock, 
Um, he had actually been in Hello, Dolly. Uh, he had been a gypsy, and he auditioned for Rolf in The Sound of Music, the movie. Uh-huh. But he does have that look, and he uh, was green-tested 13 times by Gene Kelly. God almighty. That's excessive, for sure. And then this was his last credit, because he was murdered by Charles Leslie Hopkins. Oh, fun. Yeah, that mm. happened. Okie doke. And then we got E.J. Peeker as Minnie Faye. I have nothing. I don't know. She's a cartoon character. Yeah. Um, she did lots of TV, lots of Broadway. She play, uh, She was in Bye Bye Birdie. Um, not the movie, the musical. I mean, she she plays her part well. She's cute next to Barnaby. That's about it. Okie doke. And then we have one pretty famous cameo in here that we should talk about. Uh-huh. Louis Armstrong. <laughs> he shows up as the band leader. This is his last film credit. And he did all of his stuff in one take. That's a pro. That's a pro. Knows what he's doing. Yep. Knew the song already, so. Yep, there you go. Also, uh, can I give a shout out who, amongst some performances I didn't enjoy, mm-hmm. the worst of them all, hmm. musical famous, pretty big deal, mm-hmm. Tommy Toon <laughs> as Ambrose Kemper. Yep. Holy hell, that dude can't act. That's or at just, least not in this movie. That's just a dude on stilts. <laughs> he's just all legs. <laughs> Well, you know, Ermengarde will have to do this thing. He reminds me of Gomer Pyle. He's from around here. Oh, really? Okay. There's a whole big Tommy Toon musical awards thing around the Dallas area. He's a big fucking huh. stage deal and big Broadway guy. But my God, this was the most boring, stilted acting I've ever seen in a film. And I was like, you got a professional credit for this shit? Okay, so now we have to talk about the- it's a musical. It is a musical. We're doing uh, music and romance. I don't think we can play every song. So let's just say this. What is your favorite song? Put on your Sunday clothes. Put on your Sunday clothes. There's lots of world out there. Get out the brilliant teen and dime cigars. We're going to find adventure in the evening air. What do you like so much about it? It's so hopeful and happy. And I always liked this song, but it was completely solidified in my heart when we went and saw Wally. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember that moment. We went to the theater and I was not excited about see it, seeing this film, but we, we needed a movie to see. Uh, it was Pixar, so I knew it would be good. And then all of a sudden the movie starts and it just goes... Out there, there's a world outside of Yonkers, way out there beyond this hick town, Barnaby. There's a slick town, Barnaby, out there, full of shine. And it just got me, and I was like, oh my god, it's Hello Dolly. And they play almost the whole song, and then we, you know, we get this little montage of Wally, and then later... They use it only takes a moment. And that is all that love's about. And we'll recall when time to explain him trying to connect and how he loves Eve. Mm-hmm. And it's just so sweet and beautiful and i just loved it i mean for me it has to be hello dolly hello rudy well hello 
Only song to be an actual hit out of this musical. Uh-huh. Um, and I can understand it. It's that chorus that gets me. Mm-hmm. Bridge that gap. Fellas, find me an empty lap. Fellas, darling, you'll never... I was like, yep, nope, I'm in. Uh, this used to be my favorite song to sing in the shower. It's a good song to sing. I'll, I'll take it. And it's when a... I'm drunk, I can hit it pretty well. <laughs> you do you do have to have a little bit of that booziness to you to be able to pull mm-hmm. it off. Got to have that dame going on. Mm-hmm. Anything else about the music? No, I mean, it's good. It, it fits the time. I just, I guess part, my biggest issue with this whole movie is that they made it like we're putting on a Broadway show mm-hmm. instead of making it a movie. They wanted it to be a big deal, and they focused on that instead of let's just make a really good adaptation of this of this of the musical. Yeah, well, let's just do a really good movie version mm-hmm. and have, and then you know we'll, we'll and, deal with the songs. And they had the guy Ernest Lehman who did. West Side Story did Bye Bye Birdie and did Sound of Music. I mean, he's an amazing dude, and they fucked it up. No, I, I mean, I, I will say the first two of those. I don't know. The music's probably, I think, is better in the musical version. Mm-hmm. But Sound of Music, for sure, I will, I will grant you, is excellently p- performed and produced. Correct. We've talked about that already. Yes. So this is just. This was a dud. It was a dud, and it felt like it just felt like a hack job for well, no good reason. It did eventually earn all its money back. This was the first film ever to be printed on for home video. Interesting. So it went on VHS and Betamax. It was the first film. So that's kind of cool. I know, right? A little weird, but cool. It'd be interesting to find out why that was. Maybe because they had so many prints of it for some reason. It was the timing. It was probably to try and recoup their money. Uh, maybe too, yeah. it. just an easy one to throw out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the awards. We always have to do awards here. Uh, even though we're leaving Oscar seasons, we can't not talk about them. If they pop up, we've got to mention it. Of course. Uh, this movie won uh, Best Oscar for Art Direction for the set. I will give it that. It's gorgeous. That is the one thing about this movie that is hands down amazing, mm-hmm. is the costumes, the art direction... Everything that goes on in the background of this movie mm-hmm. is beautiful. Okay, well, this is the Oscar was just for the set. Right. Okay, it also won for sound. Uh, yeah, yeah. What else was nominated? Okay, so looking at it, the only other movie that I know of that was in the category was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. which does have a pretty kick-ass explosion in it mm-hmm. and some pretty kick-ass stunts. I, I don't know about the sound on this movie, man. Mm-hmm. It's dodgy at best. Fun note about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, George Rohill, the director, heard that they were making this turn-of-the-century set. Hey, we want to film on it. We Like, we want that. And Zoo's so was like, um, no. We built it for this movie. We don't want it in another movie. So they were allowed to only come over and take still photographs on the set with the extras, and they used those photos in the montage of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There you go. Yep. I've never seen it, but I know it's there. It's coming. I know. I know. One of these days. One of these days. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Uh, la, la, la. Okay. Next Oscar was for musical score. 
it was up against Paint Your Wagon, which came out the same year. <laughs> this was the death of the movie musical. And it wasn't Hello Dolly's... It wasn't Hello Dolly's fault that this happened, no. okay? Oliver, it was a series of bad shit that well, people were just like, we're over this. Oliver won the year before for mm-hmm. Best Picture. And that was a huge fucking deal. Mm-hmm. But... 1969 was the year Easy Rider came out. Yep. It was the year Butch Cassidy came mm-hmm. out. It was the year a whole bunch of new stuff was breaking. Yeah. And these directors who had been inspired by the French New Wave really started pushing it mainstream along with exploitation films were getting mm-hmm. more popular. Yeah. And all of that converged. And I don't know that it was necessarily that this, I mean, this movie was a dud and that didn't help. Mm-hmm. And Paint Your Wagon was a dud and that didn't help. But that compiled with these new exciting movies coming out just started to completely turn the industry on its head. And so it's really interesting to be like, this is a very pivotal moment for movies, even if it's not the greatest thing in the world. All right. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Cinematography, Costume Design, and Editing. And then it also had some nominations for Golden Globes. It didn't win any. Um, It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Babs, of course, Best Supporting Actress, Marianne McAndrews, and Most Promising Newcomer, Female, Marianne McAndrews. So she was actually nominated for two Golden Globes in the same movie. There you go. They don't have that category anymore, but that's kind of cool. And in terms of other funny connections, so the writer, Thornton Wilder. Our town. Yeah. From Texas. Uh Uh-huh. He introduced Garson Cannon to Ruth Gordon. Ruth Gordon of Harold and Maude. Hey, there you go. Funny funny little twist. And okay, so I found I found this bit about Thornton Wilder and it really explains his writing of the show. It explains his writing of many things. Let, let me hear what you got, because I know a little bit about him. Uh he has two quotes that I found pretty funny. Uh-huh. Marriage is a bribe to make a housekeeper think she's a householder. Yeah. That's pretty good. And marriage is the price men pay for sex, and sex is the price women pay for marriage. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be Thornton Wilder, all right. Uh Yeah, I found that funny. All right. So how do you feel about the romance in this film? Man, if you got to manipulate people this hard to fall in love with them. Yep. That's not good. Nope. (laughs) Wait, how do you think I got you? I'm not that clever, and I'm 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 really too lazy to do that. You just fast talked over me so much that I just got confused and decided I loved you, because that's ultimately what happened here. He just got bamboozled into loving this woman. Yep, pretty much. He realized, oh, I can't live without you. And oh, you know what? Otherwise, that's, I'd have to be alone. That's what hurts with Walter Matthau's performance is mm-hmm. that it's just like, well, I guess nobody else will be with me, so why not you? You apparently want to live with me, so yeah. Okay, I guess you pissed me off enough that why don't we get married yeah i really don't like the romance between dolly and horace but i do really like it between cornelius and irene malloy i just didn't care i know and i blame wally for me romanticizing it that much more in my life (laughs) i do because i just go oh what what about ambrose and ermengarde barf I don't care about either of them. Also, fuck those names. Yeah, it's pretty awful. But Minnie Faye's a pretty awesome name. Cornelius and Irene, I get. Horace and Dolly. Cornelius Hackle is a great name. Horace and Dolly, I get. Yeah. Ambrose and Ermengarde. Barnaby and Minnie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can buy it all for the time. But when you're just going that far, it's like, nobody actually named themselves Mm -hmm. like crap, except they did. I know that for a fact. (sighs) (sighs) Yeah, I just... 
it does not give you a good message about romance in no. any form or fashion. No, I will. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think that when Lucy finally watched this, I'll just be like, this is not good dating advice. Don't follow it. All right. Like, yep. It's star time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. It did a lot. And there are some wonderful performances. And I know there's nostalgia here, but it's a three. It's a solid film. Correct. <laughs> Accurate assessment. It is a two for me. That's kind of what I figured you'd give it. I I was feeling pretty bad about it to start with. Mm-hmm. And as we went on and I, I bought in a little more to Barbara, I started to see what the real flaws were. I started to understand that I think everybody here was putting forth a good faith effort, except for Walter Matthau. And you could get around that even then. You could still get around somebody just tanking their role. Correct. But the decisions that were made were just so bad mm-hmm. in terms of making it believable on screen mm-hmm. that I just could, I was like, this does not work as a movie. If you put it on stage, it'd be fine, but it doesn't work as a movie. I don't entirely disagree. I would kill to see Bernadette Peters on stage right now. Oh, hell yeah. I want to see that so bad. And I would have loved to see Beanie Fieldstein in it. She played Minnie Faye. Hell, at this point, I would love to see Barbara Streisand do it. I know it's not going to happen now. But if it had ever happened and they filmed it on stage, hell yeah, that would be amazing. I would have liked seeing Bette Midler. I mean, I mean, in all honesty. And David Hyde Pierce. And anybody. Mm -hmm. But the fact of this is, is that to do a film adaptation of the show, you've got to have some more nuance with these characters. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is we need to have a new person do it. We need to redo this. I think we could easily. We could. Especially with the success of the new new musical. So what are we doing next time? We are going all the way on the other side of the world. Uh Uh-oh. We're going to Hong Kong. Whoa. And we are going to see a movie that I've only watched once, but that since then I had fallen in love with from the very moment I saw it. Wong Kar Wai's 1999 film, In the Mood for Love. I know nothing about this movie other than I special ordered it for you when I worked at the bookstore. An unrequited love affair. Ah. And uh, very, very interesting how it's dealt with. And some very gorgeous filmmaking. Okay. In my opinion. I know nothing about this film, and I will not look up anything until after we watch it. Until Until next next time. time. All right. So we did go see a movie this weekend. We saw Annihilation. Annihilation. A biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. Yep. I didn't like this movie. I thought this was shit. (laughs) <laughs> and like I keep seeing all these people on Twitter for the last couple weeks being like it's amazing go see it before they get they have to send it back and they can't show it anymore and I'm just like okay cool and like it looked intriguing and I saw it and I was like this is a big pile of shit it just doesn't mean anything and it's really it's a messy sci-fi I don't really feel like it has a message and it's not like even like a cool adventure, like, oh, we went on this really awesome ride. So like, who cares if there's no message? It's just, it was really clunky. So I totally agree with you. Okay. I think this me- this movie is an absolute mess. Okay. I do think there's a message there, oh. but I think because of the mess, it all got confused. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think I have seen a lot of those reviews. And so like, 
one of the one of the allegories that came up was this is a, such a great metaphor for depression, and you know, I I understand that some people don't see that there. I got that. I, I in thinking about it, I was like, I could see how you get that thread from it. But what that tells me I, is, I only get that from one section of the movie. I got it. I I thought about it and got it from the whole thing. Oh, I did not. But here's what I will say: mm-hmm. that is more telling of a hunger for movies that do that well Mm -hmm. than it is about this movie. This movie in so many ways is kind of a blank slate that you can put whatever story you want onto it. And I think that's intentional, but it's also a mess. It's a huge mess. And that's sad because there's some really great people in it. I mean, Natalie Portman's great. Um, Gina Rodriguez is awesome. Oscar Isaac acts his ass off in this movie. And, and, and it's, it's unfortunate because it, it kind of goes it's a nowhere horrible for him. Movie. I will say, even the people who don't like this movie, because mm-hmm. there are some people who think it's just absolutely terrible. You are not alone. It is polarizing. But there are also people who kind of middle of the road, and I'm one of those people. The last 30 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. are kind of amazing. The problem is, is I don't feel like they earned it. Well, it doesn't match anything that came before. Right. And like, there's the center section that is actually pretty cool. Yes. Like, okay, the first two thirds of the movie, I'm like, all right, all right. And then the last third of the movie does not match the first two at all. And it feels really shitty. And for me, the last two third, the last third of the movie is what I really like. And the first two thirds of the movie are like, well, I see where we're going to set this up, but like, this is a bit much. Yeah. And it's the last third that I'm like, this is what I was hoping to see. But they didn't earn it throughout the other part of that story and there are plot holes you can drive a mac truck through in this movie all over the place Well, and that's i mean that's just the way kind of sci-fi tends to work and that's okay you just have to decide okay i'm gonna believe in this fantastical world i'm fine with that it's just well they built two different worlds yeah they built one world which had a very specific explanation and then they threw all those rules out the window once we got to the last part of it and Tessa Thompson is in this movie, and she's awesome. She keeps showing up, and I'm always happy to see her. I will also say, I feel like this movie should have been about 30 minutes to 45 minutes longer to explain some things, to gradually build out more things, because I feel like we rushed everything. Um, Only if we remove the last third and make something completely different instead. Well, and so what's also interesting, I had to look at this because this is based off a novel. It's completely different from the novel. Okay. It's so just weird because Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina, which is hugely praised Mm -hmm. and hugely praised in a way that they do say it's completely consistent the whole way through. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who are like, this is not indicative of his work. Okay. But what's interesting is that he wrote this movie as his memory of reading the book. Oh, that's just lazy. Exactly. The, The book... Eh, I, I won't go into the details. I, I could tell you later. But the book itself has a completely different structure, which I think would have worked really well for a movie. This is kind of one of those things where in, in looking at how the book was structured, I kind of wonder, did we really need to make a movie out of this? This might have just been okay as a novel by itself. Maybe we should have just left this story alone because it's fine as it is. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, we were, I was like, I thought we were going to go see Ready Player One, and then we had to buy one, get one. So we're like, oh, we'll go see Annihilation, because a bunch of people like it. All right, we'll go see it. And now I'm like, I wish I had seen it Ready Player One. I, I will say this. If you are a fan of weird sci-fi, 
you should go see you'll it. You'll probably like this. Well, you'll probably like it, or you may be like me, where you recognize, and this isn't a good movie, but there's some really cool stuff going on here that had we had a little bit better idea of where we were going, could have been amazing and mind-blowing. Um, yeah. And, like, if you had had the right story, that last 30 minutes would have been like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is 2001 level. But... Not you just you did you had to have the right story to get there, and yeah. you just didn't. <sighs> Maybe one day we'll get a weird sci-fi you'll super enjoy. I do like sci-fi, but weird sci-fi depends on how it's weird. Okay, let's talk about like the Matrix. The Matrix was fucking weird when it came out. That movie is weird. I was all in on that. Yeah, it's uh, gonna be really interesting. Hitchhiker's we- Guide is weird sci-fi. It's not, like, mind-bendy weird, but it's weird. But that's what I'm talking about, is mind-bendy weird sci-fi. Because that's my jam. Uh, I mean, it just, it's gotta make sense. It's gotta work. I know. And what, that's the hard thing about mind-bendy sci-fi, mm-hmm. is in getting mind-bendy, mm-hmm. it stops working after a while, most of the time. It's very rare where it's all consistent and works. But alright, till next time. Bye, guys. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.